what's going on, people? I would like to welcome all of you to another Q on One edition of the Talk to Q Radio Show. My name is Quincy, and this is my show. And with the Q on Ones, what I like to do is interview people. Sometimes they can be local entrepreneurs, or they could be someone um, who's doing their thing worldwide. Um, so it's an opportunity for you to get to know these people up and close and learn their story and what gave them the passion to do what they do or provide the type of service they provide. So please sit back and enjoy the show. And please be encouraged to share. A lot of people, including myself, kind of do their thing by word of mouth, you know. So the more you spread the knowledge about the show, then the more people who can tune in and grow this thing and make it bigger. And it also gives more support for the people who I bring on the show who are looking to get their product or services out to the masses. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. He's a very talented author with his newest book, Hope City, releasing soon from the Garden State of New Jersey. Please welcome Mr. Neil Perry Gordon to the Talk to Q Radio Show. Neil, how are you? Wow, I'm, I am good. Thank you. I didn't know I was going to get applause. That's nice. <laughs> All right. Thanks for taking the time. And so let's let's get right to it. How long have you been writing? I mean, is this something that you started um, when you were younger? How did that come about? Well, I've I've written um, business articles over the years for several magazines, and I have two business books out. My fiction writing, though, began uh, three years ago uh, when I first started to write, and uh, that was it. Off to the races. Ever since I started, I now have just finished my about to publish my fifth novel. Hope City, okay. um, and it's going to be coming out on the summer solstice, June 20th, 2020. So we were looking for nice. a day in June that had some sort of significance to it. Uh, the story is about um, Alaskan gold rush in the year 1898. So I was trying to look for something. Uh, actually, my publicist was, was made the suggestion, and so she found Log Cabin Day. In June, I'm like, well, okay, well, that's like my last choice, Log Cabin Day. Um, didn't <laughs> excite me. But my friend who lives in Alaska who helped me, he sort of helped me collaborate with some parts of the book with some ideas and because he was born up there. And uh, so he's been living his whole life, 62 years up in Alaska. So he says, summer solstice, that's the big day, you know. In Alaska, the summers are so short, and they really celebrate summer up there. I've been going up there for the past 12 years every summer. So they take their summer seriously. You think you take your summer seriously. No, in, up in the Northeast, we take our summer seriously. But our summers are much longer than theirs. So yeah, the summer yeah. solstice is a big day. It's a spiritual day. So that's the day we'll be re- I'll be releasing the book, Hope City, on June 20th, 2020, this year. All right. Well, that's great. And so what do you want readers to get out of your books, you know, I mean, you can mention Hope City in particular, but what's the feeling that you want them to experience? Well, the, the key word is feeling. So that's that's when you write. When when I anyone who's trying to be a, a good writer has to be, has to be evocative, right? You want to pull feelings out. You want to express if your feelings, people, the readers' feelings. So um, this whole thing is like 
when you write, you want to show, you don't want to tell, right? You want to express feelings so an author, a writer, a reader can connect to the to the author. So when when people read my book, I want that connection. I want them feeling that you know I've, I've touched something and they are enjoying enjoying the experience because when you read a book, unlike when you listen to a you know listen to a song or mm-hmm. even go to a concert, it's a short ex- time in terms of experience. I mean, you might spend two hours at a concert or say you go to a museum and you spend a couple hours going around looking at paintings in a museum. But when you read a book, you're investing a long time of your life, you know, in comparison to other works of art as patrons of the art. So when people read your book, they're spending weeks, uh, hours and part hours, depending how fast people read, of course, you know, and everyone has a lot of time to read. They'll, they'll read maybe an hour before they go to sleep or like me, yeah. like 20 minutes before I conk out. So it might take a while to get a book read. So, you know, like you're asking a lot of, from people to invest. So when they invest all that time and effort to read your book, that's something that's, you know, as a, as a writer, that it's very uh, respectful uh, to hear that. And then people come back and, you know, and, and want to engage with you about it and that they like and they want to talk about it. So, you know, that's, that's a good thing. I like, I like that part about writing. Okay. Now and you mentioned that um, you read a book before going to bed or read, you know, read before going to bed. And I've always heard that writers are the biggest book fans. Um, do you have certain inspirations as far as, you know, certain authors or, or books that you enjoy? I do. There's a bunch of them that I enjoy. But you know what? When you become a writer, you don't read books the same way like you used to. You know, it's like if you're a musician, you, know, you listen to music a certain way. You, you know, you listen to the technical yeah. parts of it. You listen to certain timings and all that type of thing. And if you're, you know, if you're an actor, you study other actors and how their performance. And then when you're watching a movie, um, mm-hmm. you know, and a painter, when you look at paint, you know, painters like looking brush strokes and all those types of things. So, now, as a, as a writer, that's when I read some other, someone else's book, I'm like, okay, let's see what they're doing here. So, yeah, it's a whole different mindset now um, because now we're, I'm now comparing crafts so much than not, not just taking it in just for, you know, for reading's sake. But I have lots of writers who I, I, who I, who I enjoy um, who just always amaze me. You know, Dan Brown, I love Stephen King. Um, can follow it. Um, I'm a lover of historical fiction too, because all my books, uh, f- uh, four of my five books are all historical fiction. So I love the genre of historical fiction. I love reading it and I like writing about it. Um, so that's, uh, that's how I, I find, uh, I make that connection from those who I read and, and, and then get inspired to write the same, you know, the same type of genre. And that makes a lot of sense what you were saying at the beginning of your, of your response, because as a guy that has his own talk radio show, when I listen to other shows, I'm listening not just for the content, but just some of the, the certain nuances that you come across that maybe other people would not notice. And because exactly. that's part of my craft. So I, I kind of understand that it's like um, seeing the matrix, so to speak. Mm. But where does your interest in writing about, time periods from the past originate? I mean, are you a history major? How did that come about with your fascination with historical time pieces? Well, you know, I, I started with my first book, The Cobbler's Tale, and I originally picked up because I had a story there already. And this, I picked up this story based on my great-grandparents' 
life. And they okay. emigrated from Poland in 1910 to America, the Lower East Side. There was a lot of immigration at the time, millions and millions of people immigrating, Jews and Irish and, and Germans and Italians. I mean, three, four million people a year were coming into, um, into this country at that time. It was massive immigration. Um, so I, I got I, – I, there was a story there to tell, uh, my great-grandparents' story. He, he left um, Poland. It wasn't actually Poland then. It was uh, part of the Austrian-Hungarian Empire. But it was, it was, he lived in a little Jewish village called the Shtetl. Um, in Poland, we'll call it Poland for now. Uh, and he left his wife, his pregnant wife, and three children back home while he came to uh, New York to get himself established. He was a cobbler. He came here to get himself established before he bring, brought his family over. Uh, one, his son, his um, his oldest son, was my grandfather. Um, so he came here and then he got himself established, but. That was 1910. In 1914, he was still here. He sort of got himself mixed up with the wrong type of people, and uh-uh. he was making a lot of money. Uh, he was very respected all of a sudden because when, when he grew up as a, as a young man in Poland, he was not respected. He was a, um, he was a cobbler's son to be a cobbler. And um, the, the, the men who were respected back then uh, were the intellectuals, were the Torah scholars. They were going to study the Torah for their life, while the other men who were not as intellectually uh, savvy as they were, they became the cobbler or the tailor or the butcher or the baker, their father's footsteps. So he never mm-hmm. got the respect he felt he deserved. But when he came here to America in 1910, all of a sudden the tables were turned. You know, all these intellectuals who came here, these Torah scholars, had nothing to do. They had no skills. Meanwhile, you had all this um, whole um, burgeoning city, 500,000 Jews in the Lower East Side, the largest population of Jews anywhere in the world at that time. So if you're a cobbler, you had a lot of shoes to fix uh, back then. So, (laughs) you know, all of a sudden he was the man, you know, he was getting all the respect. So he loved that. So, you know, it all got to his head and he forgot to go back. And in 1914, war broke out and uh, he couldn't go back because his family was now stuck in the middle of a war zone. So that's all I want to really touch on because I don't want to give away too much of the book. Right. Um, But that's how I got started in that genre of historical fiction. Plus, I'm a lover of reading historical fiction, Ken Follett uh, in in particular. So uh, that's where I ended up. And what's nice about historical fiction is, you know, you could go back into a period of time and, um, and you do research about that time period. You find out significant events and uh, then you develop your fictional characters around those events and you have a really cool story. So it's not only are you being entertained by the story, but you're also learning history. So if you're going to invest all that time reading a book, wouldn't it be nice to also learn something at the end of the day when you're done with it, you know, about that time period? So that's why I like about historical fiction. It's a way of digesting history in an entertaining way. That's pretty cool. Now, now three of your books, let's see, um, A Cobbler's Tale, The Bomb Squad, and Hope mm-hmm. City all take place around the beginning of the 20th century. Yet your book, Moonflower, takes place in 1675. So how do you determine what era you're going to feature in a book and, and the location of the story? Well, um, Moonflower, I ended up there uh, because my son, my youngest son, was in school 
upstate New York, and he was studying indigenous peoples as a minor. So I wanted okay. to write in that genre, in that, in that time period. So, you know, in the 1670s, the Dutch was still in controlling New York. It was actually called New Amsterdam. Um, and Albany, which is the capital of New York, was called Beverwick. So this takes place just at the time when the Dutch are still here, but the English are about to come in and take over. And it's a story of a young man, um, a teenager, a 17-year-old uh, teenage boy, uh, who's going to go on this quest for the great spirit. And this quest that he's going to go on is going to be through these Native American um, tribes throughout the Northeast. So the book begins when he is about to consume the seeds from the flower, from the moonflower, which is a flower that only blooms at night. And the seeds from the okay. moonflower are hallucinogenic. So under the auspices mm. of a shaman, he's going to consume this beverage. And when he drinks this up, he's going he's to lose his memory completely. So it's a, it's a rebirth in a way that he's going to go out and search for the great spirit. But all his, you know, all his memories, all his past is going to be uh, wiped out. Uh, it might come back. He's not the, the shaman says sometimes it, the memory comes back. But just in case it doesn't, he gives him a quill and parchment and says, write everything you can remember about your life from your first memory to what happened today. Because tomorrow when you wake up, from this concoction you're about to drink, you're not going to remember anything about your life up until today. So he's going to oh, write wow. his entire life overnight, and then he's going to consume this beverage, and he's going to wake up, and he's going to have all these his life written before him on several pages of parchment, but there, it's just going to be words. There's no emotional connection to his memories, to his words he wrote down, because it's just, he doesn't remember anything. So, you know, it's just another story. So the story goes on from there where he, he battles evil, evil characters, of course, along the way, and his, his search for the great spirit and, and to regain his memory and to, you know, to, re, to basically be born again in a way. Um, so that's Moonflower. Um, so it has a good spiritual um, element to it. So it's not just historical fiction, though I do talk about what it was like back then with the uh, hunting for beaver because beaver trade was very popular in the late 1600s. The Indians mm-hmm. were hunting beaver, trading it to the Dutch. The Dutch were bringing it back to Europe and they were making hats, men's hats out of beaver pelts. And it was super popular because beaver pelts were great to make hats because they were waterproof. So if you made a hat out of beaver pelt, you know, you can wear it in the rain and, you know, everyone wore oh, hats okay. back then. So it was very popular. So, you know, they were trading like crazy. So I learned about the beaver trade back in the 1600s. And then, of course, uh, you know, you have all these people in, the, in this. You have the Native Americans um, and, this, and then the slave trade going on, too. So I make a lot of um, comparisons between the oppressed peoples uh, of the time. Um, so he travels from the Northeast um, and he goes to Amsterdam with his father. He ends up on the slave, the, you know, the slave coast of Africa comes across on a slave ship to Charlestown where the slave market was. He, of course, has to, you know, carry a message um, about the slaves uh, back up to the north. So it's this epic journey, you know, and him searching for the great spirit, seeing, you know, the, the, uh, the pain that always, you know, these, these groups have gone under. And uh, so that's how I ended up there. So it's, you know, that was my second novel, Moonflower. That is a very interesting plot. I, I, I love the idea of 
him having to write down his life. I, I can't imagine what I would write. <laughs> I mean, if I only had one night, I have no idea what memories I would want to put down. Uh, yeah, wow, that's tough. Think. Yeah, it really does. Okay, a couple more questions, and we'll get ready to wrap things up. But uh, what's next for you um, on the literary front now that Hope City is going to be released? Well, Hope City is a big deal, so that's going to be released um, June 20th. That's the story that takes T-98 in the, mm-hmm. in the gold rush in Alaska. And uh, it's another, another 17-year-old boy, this time from San Francisco, who is going to graduate from college and goes up to spend his, the summer up uh, prospecting for gold uh, in Alaska. And it's sort of this trip down the rabbit hole for him. Um, and so that's, it's an exciting story. Um, and uh, I have some elements of Jack London, the famous writer Jack London, who wrote Call of the Wild. He makes an appearance in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's going to be fun. And then I'm, I'm going to write a sequel to that um, that takes place two years later in Nome. Um, so the gold rush continued two years later in Nome, Alaska, which is on the Bering Strait, uh, the closest mm-hmm. landmass to, to Russia. Um, and back then, in, in 1900, we had, even have Wyatt Earp on the scene, famous Wyatt Earp, the uh, lawman, okay. in, tombstone in the OK Corral. So he makes an appearance in this story. As, um, that's going to be called Cape Nome. So that will be out. I just just started writing that. Um, but there's another manuscript in between that I finished, which will be edited and come out sometime later this summer. That's called White Slave. And that's about uh, the Jewish slave trade, um, sex slaves, actually it was Jewish sex slaves in 1924 in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Crazy stuff that went on. Um, you had uh, um, very rich Jewish businessmen from Argentina um, making believe they were going to take these Jewish women, young Jewish girls from Poland who are poor and introduce them to rich men, but they were actually the con and they were putting them and bringing them down to Buenos Aires as sex slaves. And uh, this really happened and it was, it was rampant uh, in, in Buenos Aires and uh, uh, Montevideo, uh, Uruguay. Um, so this uh, actually it's a love story, believe it or not. Um, so that's that's something that will come out sometime, probably late summer. That is something I I was not aware of. I was not aware of anything like that. Um, yeah. So, wow, that sounds it, it, interesting. Yeah, and uh, no, not a lot of people know about. It's called the Zvi Magal. The Zvi Magal was this mafia Jewish mafiosa group, and they were taking mm-hmm. they were Jewish men taking young Jewish girls and turning them into sex slaves. It was just maddening. Hmm. And uh, now your, your your book, The Bomb Squad, was the one that kind of jumped out to me. It seemed like my kind of book because it involved, you know, British secret intelligence and, mm-hmm. you know, a New York detective and things of that nature. Can you give the listeners a little bit about that as well? Because I think that one is going to be um, the one I read first. Okay, sure. Well, The Bomb Squad, is, I, it, the subtitle is Clash of the Patriots. So it takes place, it begins in 1916, June 30th, 1916, there was an explosion on a place called Black mm-hmm. Tom Island, which was an armaments depot behind the Statue of Liberty in New York Harbor. And uh, German spies uh, detonated this armaments depot. It was a gigantic explosion. 
It rocked New York City, blew out windows all, all up, Man, up and down Manhattan, of course, down the New Jersey coastline as well. So it was an, an intense uh, explosion. So that's how the book begins. And it's a story between two men, both German-American. One man is Dr. Harold Schwartz. He is a German-American. He's a doctor and administrator of Ellis Island Immigrant Hospital. We're all, when you come into to America back then, if you, if you were coming in through steerage, third class, you had to go through Ellis Island. And he was basically uh-huh. in charge of it. But he was a German spy. He's the one behind that big block Tom Island explosion. And him and his father, who is a lethal arms dealer and a lifelong friend of Kaiser Wilhelm, um, are plotting all these, uh, these things to go on in, in, in America to keep America out of the war. Because at this time, in 1916, we were still not in the war. We were neutral um, in, in World War I. So they thought if we, if we distract the Americans with these, you know, these explosions here and there, they'll have their hands full. They're not going to want to get involved in the war. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. I have um, Max Rothman, the New York City police detective, also a German-American, but he's a patriot. He's an American patriot, and he's recruited by the British, the British Secret Intelligence Service, known as the SIS. And he, they approach him and uh, ask him to form the bomb squad. And the bomb squad is him with four other German-speaking American men, each with a different skill, uh, to uncover this, these explosions, this reign of terror that's going on by these, by these German spies. So that's a little bit of the, the, the flavor of the story and uh, strictly historical fiction. And, you'll, and if you read that too, you'll find some interesting facts about the time that, you know, little, time, little things, you know, usually learn in history class. That sounds great. Um, anything with espionage and betrayal, I am all for it. So that sounds like a really <laughs> good. good book. One last question. As an author, how do you feel about the arts being taught today in, in schools? Um, are our children getting the opportunity to find their creative talents as previous generations have? I mean, we don't hear much about, you know, they're taking money away, funding away from music yeah. and, you know, painting and things of that nature. Well, what's your take on that as an author? Well, number one, I went to a school that was very big with the arts with music, with drama, with writing, you know, painting, all types of crafts. So obviously I'm a big supporter of the arts. And I think that, you know, you take that create that, that creativity, that expressions that children need to do, you, you, you know, you can't, everything can't be so uh, rote and, and memorizing and just becoming a machine. You have to allow creativity to, to flourish right, and right. we don't support this in the in young people on a massive level we're just we're, we're just making robots of er, out of everybody um and that's just going to be that's horrible for for us as a humanity um we need to be expressing the arts we need to be investing more in the arts uh, not taking things away so yeah that's a touchy subject for me for sure i think it's very well said we, yeah we definitely don't want to turn into a society of robots I don't know. It seems like that's the direction that things are heading. Hopefully, that won't be the case. And so, well, all we could do Neil, with our children is just do the best we can with our children and try to uh, make sure they know how to allow to express themselves and give them the opportunity. If they're not getting it in school, we we have to make sure they get it at home. Absolutely. And so, where can my listeners find you? Where can they find you on the web, uh, social media? How can they get your books? 
neilperrygordon.com. Go to my website. It's all there. Um, and then you have links to Amazon. Uh, I, have a, I have a Facebook page. Neil Perry Gordon is my Facebook page. So check mm-hmm. it out. Lots, lots of fun things. All right. I, like I said, the, the new book will be out June 20th, but the Bomb Squad's available now. All my other books are out. Uh, my first two books are available also on Audible. So you can listen to it. And I have my next two books, oh. uh, Righteous One and uh, Bomb Squad, will be out on Audible too in another month. And uh, so I get all my books done, uh, paperback, ebook, and Audible. Um, so there's, there's different formats you can enjoy the books with. Sounds good. Sounds good. I'm, I've become a fan of Audible lately, but there's something about holding that book in my hand that kind of uh, seems right to me. So I'll probably be getting the <laughs> yeah. paperback. Okay. So. Uh, I, I, I love the same thing. There's nothing like having the actual book in your hand. Well, Neil, I appreciate you taking the time. You know, one thing about your books and, you know, to my listeners out there, not only can you be entertained with the content, but the history lesson that you get in this book, in these books, is great too. So you can be entertained and maybe answer a Jeopardy question someday. So it's a (laughs) win-win. But, Neil, I appreciate you taking the time to join this cute on one podcast. Of the Talk to You Radio Show. It's been a pleasure, and I wish wish you the best with Hope City and all your other future endeavors. Thank you, Quincy. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And that's going to do it for this T2Q podcast. Go to TalkToQ.com, and that way you can sign up for the email newsletter and be alerted to new shows as they come out. I'm on Twitter at TalkToQ, and that's Talk, the number two Q. So I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast of T2Q, and I'll see you next time.